You are listening to Lesbians on Screen, a podcast that looks at lesbian and queer women on big and small screens. This season, we are delving into the global phenomenon of Juliantina. I'm Sheena. My pronouns are she, her. Hi, everyone. Excited to be here. Monica McCowan. My pronouns are she, her as well. And I am a lesbic author and Juliantina superfan and aficionado, I guess, which is why I was invited to be on this podcast. But uh, extremely excited to, to get to relive one of my favorite fandoms that I've ever been a part of. My poor baby. Okay, so she's she's very sad, and now we're with Juliana. Oh, wow, <laughs> thank you. Why is she crying? Because she's broken hearted. She's been shut out. She really thought that they were getting somewhere, and yeah, for Val to just kind of you know crumble and be so upset, and Juliana not be able to be there to support her while she goes through this. I think crying is a very natural response to that series of events. So now we cut to the pool room at Val's house and Jacob walks in. She's looking all sad and he starts talking to her. He comes and sits down next to her and he's going to have like a dad talk with her. Because he coincidentally is actually her dad. Right, but she doesn't know this yet. Yeah, I guess the important things to touch on here for viewers is, yeah, she does not know that that is the soul of her father. She does not know that that is Juliana's father's body. But Hakabo slash her father does know that she was kissing Juliana. So he's not, you know, completely in the dark on these things. He has a, a frame of reference for this conversation that he's having with her, even though she doesn't know that. So she says to him... She doesn't have any more friends left, and her brother's left the house, and this is news now to him. Why has Guy left the house? And he discovers that Ava's just been alienating everybody. And I think this conversation is actually pivotal to his sort of coming out to them later. It's also interesting for me, because he he talks about how uh, her father, you know, spent his whole life working hard so that they could have all the stuff, this beautiful house, you know, all these sort of things. But ultimately, the family's really broken. So his priorities were obviously in a really bad place. And I think that's part of his whole story arc as well. Just from what I've seen, um, is he has to come to the realization that things do not a family make. Right. And this is actually, I'm going to nerd out for a second and talk about sociology. Uh, So this is a very common phenomenon with the next generation of children that grow up with wealthy but self-made parents. You know, their parents don't want their children to struggle the way that they did. So they give them everything that they possibly could by way of the things that, you know, they felt they didn't have or the things that they should get, you know, because that's why they've been working so hard. So there tends to be an issue and you see it, you know, very much with him being out like running this empire so he's not with the kids kids still having problems even if they have money so yeah to your point I think that that is a big a big part of his story arc that you know I think Valentino maybe she wouldn't rather be like poor and happy but maybe just like average and and happy and you know, be able to spend more time with her father because that was always kind of her thing before he died, um, that she wanted to be around him and he just wasn't there. 
She's calling Ava an authoritarian, uh, like, older sister. Uh, I love it. And he's saying life is full of bad moments and you have to confront them. I don't know what that is about, though. He says, you know, she says she has to be strong. And then he says, sometimes it's good to be vulnerable, too. I feel like that's something going on in his own personal life there. Yeah, I think he's going through it with his ex, with his wife who had him killed, who he's falling back in love with in spite of his best judgments not to do that. So Val pours herself a drink, which we know is is a thing with her. And he says, don't you think it's a little early um, to be relying on alcohol as a crutch? And I really like that he went there because in, you know, a lot of cultures, it's just kind of a thing that you do. We saw it, the viewer, but I wasn't really expecting it to be brought up on the show considering how much everybody kind of like panders to Val and her family, or they just kind of let her do what they want. But there's a great parallel between her father telling her moments ago, you have to be brave and have the tough conversations. And then saying that thing to her as technically the chauffeur where she could just tell him to, you know, F off and get lost. She's never really been like that with him. And Unless we're talking about the moment when he took her out of the hospital and she did not want to go. That was about the only time she's ever kind of stood up and said, know your place with him. Right. Well, and he he frames the conversation very gently, like a little problem can become a big problem, but it can be a very triggering thing, I think, to have somebody point out to you, especially because, you know... They are friends, but he is an employee of the home. So he's taking a chance by saying that. Absolutely. And then he says, don't you think it would be better to lean on your friends or this girlfriend of yours? He's the first person outside of her brother that knows about them and who's accepting of them. And this is a big deal, especially considering he is her father. And then he pours out the alcohol. Or asks her to pour out the alcohol. And she does. I think it's a very symbolic moment of her kind of learning to overcome and to be okay with who she is. Absolutely. No, this is a very, very sweet scene between them. And yeah, she's obviously thrilled, even though she doesn't know that he's her father, just that there's anybody that seems to be supporting her and also that he's helping her. I think for as much as her father couldn't be around when he was alive, he still kind of told it like it was and she just hasn't had anybody in that function to really talk through things with her. Yeah, I think that you can just see on her face it's played so well. It means so much to her. Absolutely. And they've become friends over the last you know, however many episodes, he helped her to save Jules's mom in the hospital when the bad guys were looking for her. He's been there through a lot of these things. So I think his support means a lot. So now we cut to university and Val is facing her demons. She comes back and Lucho's in a crowd with his friends and she pulls him away and confronts him. Ugh, hate his face. It's been so long since I've seen it. So yeah, Val storms in, 
in her little leather jacket, looking cute as hell, and they get into a fight in public, which is not new for anybody. But, you know, the conversation kind of centers around her being mad at him and him being just as mad about the situation because he didn't want anybody to know and he's embarrassed and kind of feels emasculated. And they get in each other's faces. She's not letting up. Like previously when Lucio confronted her, she'd sort of back off. This time she's right in his face. She's getting closer. She's waving her finger at him. Eventually he storms off. And a very telling thing is Sergio standing there watching them. And then he turns and walks off in the same way as Lucio. He's taking Lucio's side on this. Yeah. And I think that that's super messed up because they're supposed to all be friends And I don't know, Sergio has had moments in the past, you know, when Val tried to break up with Lucho or did break up with Lucho and he got physical and Sergio got in between them. So I think that I think that Val's not the kind of person that expects you to take sides. So the fact that he even felt the need to draw that like very clear line in the sand, I think was just, yeah, it it is further going to push her into a spiral. Well, ultimately what he's doing is he's, he's alienating her entirely and, and acting as if what Lucia did was okay. Uh, or, you know, any of this is okay. Yeah. Okay, so now we're with Lupe and Jules at Sylvina's house. And Lupe's asking Jules, like, what's going on? You're worse than you were last night. Lupe is asking Jules, you know, do you have a boyfriend? Did you get into a fight with him? I just, I think they try, I see what they're doing with Lupe's character arc. And I think that, you know, I think it's probably not the best that I don't see any of like her individual scenes because the only scenes we see her in are the ones with Juliana and the Juliantina story. But I just, I struggle with her so much because, and I think it's hard because it's so real, you know, in the abstract, she says these things like, I just want you to be happy, or she checks in with Juliana, or she notices when she looks upset, or, you know, she would do anything in the world to protect her. There are these moments of these like, wow, they have this amazing bond and she's a great mom. And then, yeah, she's just so oblivious. And I think that that's to the point of it's a comment on heteronormativity and compulsory heterosexuality. And even though Juliana has shown more emotion being around Valentina than probably her mom has seen collectively in her life, emotions other than anger, you know, she can't even go there. It's not even a possible thought in her head. But I think that that just further gets Juliana down whenever these types of conversations come up because whether her mom says it or not she just feels like it would be like such an uphill battle so she's already so upset because Valentina blocked her out and now you know her mom is asking her about a boyfriend or something like that it's just adding insult to injury I only relatively recently discovered the term compulsory heterosexuality so for those who are not in the know, let's just talk about that for a second. Yeah. I mean, at a 
TLDR, it's the idea that straight is the default, so you don't assume that something else would be possible. You know, when you when people see two women and ask if they're friends or if they're sisters, or they see you with a man and they assume that you're dating, it's basically the idea, you know, the whole idea that you have to come out because everybody is going to assume you're straight. If you don't, that's compulsory heterosexuality, that it's imbued in you know every facet of our lives in ways that we probably don't even realize. And you'll start noticing if you're thinking about it. So it's, yeah, it's an idea I learned about a couple of years ago, and I think it's a really interesting concept. And, you know, the world is getting better, but for sure the, the expectation is mostly straight couples. And Lupe represents this concept as a living, breathing human being because she just won't, she won't even go there, even though the only person that Jules is actually with all the time is Val. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a good, if anybody watches Westworld, it's like she is a host and she can't see the door. It's right there in front of her and she just cannot see it because of her programming. So it's, you know, it's painful to watch once you're kind of aware of this thing. But again, Lupe wasn't made for the us's, you know, the probably the people listening to the podcast. She was made for the people who hadn't ever had conversations like this and probably need to start having them for the sake of their families and their children and, you know, what they can do to be to be a little more aware. Mm. What I do like that the show did, though, is that they had these people in both Val and Jules's life, but they also had the people on the flip side who weren't having these conversations, who were actually saying to these people, actually, it is normal and you need to get over it. Yep. Absolutely. I think it's a, a realistic portrayal. And I know that we've talked about this in earlier episodes, you know, in lesbic and thing and TV shows, especially it's really hard because there isn't as much representation as we would like to just want things to be happy and fluffy and rainbows. But on a Mexican telenovela, that's just never going to happen, point one. But also, I think when you're trying to tell a story that's this rich and this deep, it would be doing a disservice to just pretend like everything is sunshine and roses. And I think that because of the struggle, Juliana and Valentina come out better on the other side in a way that they may not have otherwise done. And it opens the door for real life people to start having these conversations with their families. Absolutely. So then she asks if Jules had an argument with her friend and Jules looks sad and then she's like, okay, I find this scene so annoying and let me tell you why. <laughs> okay, so Lupe does that thing, you know, like when somebody's like pretending to be a clairvoyant where they're just kind of like reading social cues or, you know, she's being a little bit of like a fraud here because... First, she asks about a boyfriend, and it's not that. And then she goes, is it a problem with your friends? And she goes, mm, I thought so. Like, no <laughs> sh**, Lupe. Like, what do people have problems with? Friends and family. And you haven't seen 
you know, friends, family, or significant others, and you haven't seen Juliana, she came home upset, so you know it's not you. You already asked about a boyfriend. You guys can't see my air quotes, but I'm making them. So yeah, and then to say, like, "Mm, I thought so. And she does this really, like, knowing nod. Like, she just hit the nail on the head. And it's, I don't know if the writers tried to do this to make it almost comical, her obliviousness to what is slapping her in the face while still being so confident in her rightness. It's, oh my god, it's a thing of beauty. (laughs) But isn't this just the kind of thing that moms do, though? Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) But it's just, it's so juxtaposed with the fact that she has no clue what is going on. She refuses to accept it, even though it's like hitting her in the face. Yeah, it's, I think I started this little diatribe by saying I didn't like this scene. It's not that I don't like it. It's just Lupe is so ridiculous. She is just so extra in so many scenes and we haven't even gotten to them yet I will talk about it when we get there but yeah I oh my god it's all yeah it's like almost embarrassing but then she says to Jules about Val that girl is sweet you know she's nice she's charming but she's from a different world and this is that thing again where people are trying to shove them apart because they're of different you know financial backgrounds and then Jules is like not having any of this anti-Val rhetoric and so she just lays into her mother and she's like she's like I don't get involved in you and Panchito's relationship I don't tell you how you take advantage of him because he's into you and she just like it's the button pushing stuff again families can push buttons like nobody else but it's so interesting because she tells her mom the answer to her question without saying the words out loud. She draws her relationship with Valentina in parallel with the romantic relationship of Lupe and Panchito. I have never noticed that. That's true. You know, because I I don't think we've met like a lot of her mom's friends and the, the Panchito comment would hit hard because that's exactly what Lupe is doing. And Pools has been sweet enough not to bring that up because it's kind of like a messed up situation, what's going on. But yeah, I mean, she says it without saying it in the way she feels comfortable with. And I think that this kicks off a new era of Lupe being weird and suspicious because maybe she doesn't quite get it, but she understands the idea without like putting it into words. What an interesting idea. I'd never picked up on that. And she flips the conversation entirely. So they've entirely stopped talking about her now, Jules. And eventually she gets up and and storms off. And Lupe and Jules don't exactly have a great uh, ability to talk to one another without headbutting. My baby's getting bullied, in case you're wondering why nobody's speaking right now. But yeah, Valentina goes to school and it's just all eyes are on her. It's clearly that moment when you walk in and everybody knows and they're talking about it. So she, you know, she still goes into the school briefly and is trying to be brave in the face of this situation that's happening. But the really, really important thing that happens in the scene where she goes back to school is that Juliana calls her and again 
you know, same as she wouldn't talk to Juliana when she found the bullying stuff online. She doesn't take her call and she shuts Juliana out. Juliana doesn't know why this is happening. And she's just gotten in a fight with her own mother. So she's very raw. She's not just wanting to talk to Valentina. She's seeking support for what's happening in her own life. And she just gets completely blocked out. So it's, you know, I'm sure kind of devastating for but both of them are devastated right now. Things are not going well for the babies. Sadly, this is not going to get much better. Much I know. Better. I was just going to say, this is your spoiler alert that that's not going to change for like 20 more episodes of this show. So buckle up. So Jules leaves a message and says to Val, what's going on? I was worried I haven't heard from you since last night when you were acting weird. And this is actually so interestingly shot. Because the scene in which Jules is on the phone to Val is shot from behind Jules, and we see her in a mirror of a, like a cupboard or something. So it's a slightly distorted image. It's it's a way of visually representing that she's feeling outside of herself, that her world is is shifting, that she's not feeling comfortable in her space right now. And importantly, though, she is wearing the necklace that Valentina gave her that day when they hung out and swam. And she gave Valentina a shirt and Valentina gave her a necklace. She's wearing that necklace right now. So there's still this sense of, you know, hope she's lost and she's upset. But Valentina's there with her by virtue of that necklace, which is actually, you know, framed in almost the, the center of the scene. It's a beautiful shot. So then Lupe calls Jules because she's got a newspaper that says one of the guys that kidnapped her has been killed. And so she's showing Jules the newspaper. This is the same dude who was in the elevator with Val and Jules when Lupe was in the hospital. And they're implying that he was killed by his own cartel, probably, you know, because he botched things up going after Lupe, even though they still think that she is dead. And that's an important thing for them to believe. But now she is worried that they're going to to find out that she's still alive because they're obviously mad about the situation and the way it played out, even if he still got... So I think the important thing to take away is they still killed him, even thinking that they were able to kill Lupe in the end. They were just mad that it took so long and like she got away kind of and they had to go to a hospital and all of that kind of stuff. So she's concerned and she actually says to Jules, like, we, we need to leave. So we're bringing back again this concept of they have to leave the city. So Jules is budding relationship with Val is at stake. Right. And I like how they do it in these different permutations of the same problem. Uh, sometimes, you know, the feedback people give on shows or books is they just kept having the same fight over and over again. And that's, you know, grating to, to readers and viewers. But in this situation, enough of what is going on has changed that it kind of makes it a different conversation each time. Initially, when they were talking about leaving, they were, you know, on this rocket ship going upward together. And 
Juliana wanted nothing more than to, to kind of lean into her feelings, even if she was terrified. And they were like this united front, making proclamations to one another. And now this is coming up again. She hasn't heard from Valentina. She's being completely shut out. You know, she and her mom are fighting. So she starts to think like, hey, maybe I should just leave. It, it becomes a different conversation than it was just just a couple of days ago. Which makes me wonder why she's willing to give up so easily. Like, what kind of wussiness is that? Come on, Jules, buckle up. No. (laughs) Do you really feel that way? I think that for as frustrating as it is, her response is completely natural. Everybody in her life is telling them they don't belong together Everybody that holds power over their lives doesn't want them to be together. Like, it's great that Gie supports Val, but it's Ava that really has the power to make Val's life miserable. It's Juliana's mom who has the power to make her life miserable. It's because you don't believe in soulmates. Uh, or yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, but if they were soulmates, it just, like, wouldn't matter and there would be no conflict. No, that's not how that works. I think you have to make the decision. And maybe (laughs) by proxy that turns you into soulmates because of the shared experience that you have. But I don't think you're destined. Because then that takes out free will. No, it doesn't. I don't know. We can... All right. (laughs) No, you... Okay. When you are soulmates and you are destined to be together, there is a magnetic pull that will make you do anything to overcome, to be with that person, because you just can't not be with that person. And so Jules just giving up this easily, when there isn't actually even conflict yet, not really for her, makes me want to smack her upside the head. What kind of a soulmate are you to Val? Right, but she's scared. I mean, she's a person, if I follow your belief system, she's still a person first and a soulmate second. You, at this stage, even if she believes that Valentina is her soulmate, which I think is a grandiose idea that Juliana would never quite aspire to it's kind of Val is the one that believes in soulmates and talks about you know who they would be to one another in another life which I think is so sweet I just don't think that Juliana would have the the capacity to go all in given the lack of confidence that she has in herself at this point and even if she wants to be with Valentina right now Valentina is kind of giving her every indication that that's not what she wants as well. And you have to remember, we're probably like seven to 10 days of them knowing each other. So for Valentina to ice her out for one day, that's like 12 and a half percent of their total relationship. That's not an insignificant period of time. Is that accurate myth? Uh, one eighth is like, Twelve and a half percent. It's close, yeah. I'm impressed. Hmm. I'm impressed. Roundabouts there. 
So yeah, so, you know, it's not insignificant. I I'm just, just going to no 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 and no soulmates. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> See, to me that's like almost lazy writing. Well, I'm good thing I'm not a writer. I know. <laughs> I know. If you say oh they're destined to be together. Like no. They have to, I want them to make the choice to be together. And I think that that's what we see. So I don't disagree because, I mean, Sheena, look, like I wrote a 70,000 word fan fiction about how they were soulmates. Like I want to believe you. And in the construct of them, I do believe you that they were, you know, they wanted to be together but they still, you have to go through kind of the work to do it. And I think that just Juliana can't, she's not there right now because she's getting iced out and she has her own like vulnerability and sensitivity. But soulmates. And that's just, that's it. okay. So, but let's not. Okay, Maybe so just with not... them. I don't believe it about anybody else, but like I do, you know, I love them. So, so maybe with them, like no, I will agree. No, my wife and I. Right. Okay. That's true. Soulmates is a. You keep okay, saying wait, we're wait, done, and then you keep saying more about it, and I'm no, obviously no, no, going to no, talk no. about it too. Okay. I'm going to make a PowerPoint. <laughs> okay, so now we cut to. I don't even know what we just finished. We finished something, and now we cut to Val's bedroom, right? So Val walks into her bedroom, puts something down on her cushion under her chair. But what's important in this frame is the two pieces of art on the wall behind her desk. And the one says love, and the other one says hope. (sighs) There's a lot of just, like, me sighing because I'm sad for Val. But if anybody follows Sheena on Facebook, you will know that this is one of my top three favorite Valentina outfits that she ever wears. It's true. I don't know. Love Ava's outfit, though, too. That's great. Ava needs to go be arrested already. Okay, there's also, if you, Kashina, you really like, you know, the the film shot aspect of things. So she is actually, like, under a decorative thing that's like a birdcage. And I think that that's very symbolic, this, like, birdcage, that she is kind of trapped. I, you know, you could look at it as just like a pretty piece of art, but she sits under there all the time. She's also pinned photographs to it of happy memories. And when Jules comes in, one of the first things Jules does when she comes into her bedroom is she pulls off accidentally one of the photos. And it's sort of like, would you say that that's representative of that birdcage starting to open then? Yeah, well... When she does that later in the scene that hasn't come yet, it's not a good scene that's kind of happening between them. It's a very... Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Yeah. When she accidentally wakes Val up. Yeah, but that's an important scene, though, too. Oh, my God. It's such a good scene. I can't wait to talk about it. We just have to get through, like, two kidnappings and... (laughs) A whole lot of drama. Yeah, oh my god. So yeah, birdcage motif. Okay, cool. So Ava comes in and starts talking to Val, and Val's like, doesn't want to talk to Ava, but then Ava's like, she made an appointment with a doctor for Val. Okay, that's such a a good moment this year, where she gets up. She's like, 
petulant, but convicted in her righteousness. Oh my god, I love it. Yeah. She can't believe Ava because Ava's made an appointment for Val with a psychologist to talk about this this affliction. This affliction. This, these unnatural feelings that are obviously wrong and need to be fixed because something's screwy in her brain, right? I have many feelings. I think every gay person has many feelings around this. And Val straight up says, you know what the problem is with you is you think you know what everybody else needs. (laughs) 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 She basically tells Ava that she's like extremely old fashioned and it's frustrating and makes Valentina feel awful. And from from a conversation perspective, uh, I think Valentina does this just about perfectly. She's using, you know, I statements. She is she is kind of taking little jabs at Ava, but you know, Ava's trying to tell her that there's something being wrong with being gay, and like there has to be a line where you emphatically reject somebody's statement about things. But she's saying, you know, the way you live and the way you're presenting things, it makes me feel awful. And you're the one who's out of touch, not me. But, you know, Ava is so convinced of her rightness that she's trying to make other people feel like they are crazy or they have the problem. I think this is such an important moment in the show because Val, for all her frustration with Ava, for all her feeling awful about the things that Ava's saying to her and stuff, she never backs down in her love for Jules. She never says it's wrong. She never even thinks it. You know, she finds it heartbreaking that people are reacting this way. She was scared that this would happen, and it did. But she never turns around and says, maybe I'm wrong. Right. She never doubts her feelings. Because they're soulmates. Well, I think she does she does doubt their ability to get through this, but she doesn't doubt her feelings. If she didn't doubt it, she would be answering Juliana's call and leaning into the support for one another. But before we get, you guys can't see it, but Sheena like has her arms up. So I knew we were going to get into it. So what I want to say is I think it's uh, such a good scene because Valentina completely turns it around on her sister and says, to be completely honest, Ava, I'm a little bit embarrassed that you're my sister because of the way Ava is acting. And in typical Ava fashion, they do such a good job with the characterization of people on the show, love them or hate them. You know, they really, they are very well done. And Ava doesn't even blink doesn't like drop the robot shield and go human for a second she just goes one day you'll thank me Val and that's it because she genuinely believes that because she genuinely believes there's something wrong with Val and Val needs to be fixed see I don't think that that's true I don't think that she actually believes there's something wrong with her I think she thinks that other people will think there's something wrong with her we know that because Ava has had sex with women in college and she cared she didn't care about it enough. Like, she told her husband, you know, it wasn't something she was embarrassed about. It was just a part of her past. But now they have, like, this reputation to protect. 
you know, and that was like art school Ava, living her life, uh, you know, finding her passion. And now this is this Ava who is at the helm of Carvajal Empire and is so concerned and worried about what other people think. But I don't truly think that there's something that Ava thinks there's something wrong with it. She just wants Val to shut up about it because she doesn't want to have to deal with another family scandal. And then she ends the conversation by saying, like, I'm going to text you the address and the details, and I'm doing this because I love you. I roll worthy. Val's moment there was just beautiful. You're listening to Lesbians on Screen. I'm Sheena, and I'm joined today by author Monica McKellen. Monica, can you tell listeners where they can find you online? Very socially active online, uh, just depends on what channel. Uh, so Twitter is my jam if you want to communicate with me and have the best probability that I will communicate back. So it's at Monica McCallan, and that's on Twitter. I do have a Facebook fan page and I have a website, www.monicamccallan.com. But for sure, if you're looking to hang out and engage and chat about stuff, Twitter is where you can find me. Thank you for listening to Lesbians on Screen, a podcast that delves into the world of queer women on big and small screens. Join us next week as we continue discussing the global phenomenon that is Julian Tina. If you love this podcast, then rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and help other fans find us.